Hi, welcome to the Mend Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Roeder, and this is brought to you by Red's Fly Shop. Today we're going to talk about the Montana road trip, kind of the big Griswold family fly fishing trip that we thought was going to be so amazing, which it was. Uh, I'm here with my wife, uh, one of the many Mrs. Red's Fly Shops that allows me to hunt and fish my brains out and do stuff like go fly fishing for a living. So this is my wife, Kelly. Hi, good evening. Yeah, first podcast for her. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have all of about 39 followers, so I wouldn't be too nervous. Uh, so, yeah, we... Uh, there are numbers. Yeah, so Kelly and I, uh, we've been to Montana fishing before, right? Oh, yeah, years ago, back before we even had kids. <laughs> See, we used to fish quite a bit, actually, and uh, it's been a while. In fact, funny story about that... Um, and, and Joe's right. Uh, he clearly does a lot of fishing, but I kind of joke that I fish once a year. And um, there's a lot of truth to that. But as we were fishing on this trip, our 10-year-old looks over at me with this admiration in his eyes and says, Dang, Mom, I didn't know you could cast like that. And I I had to chime back and say, I used to be fun yeah. before I had kids. Oh, uh, We were super cool before we had kids. We were fishing all the time and... We uh, we went and did that Smith River trip uh, right before we had kids, and uh, got a lot of fishing in on that trip. We went to the Missouri uh, River there as well, but we live in central Washington state, and granted, there's fabulous fishing here, but um, trips just take on a different character when you when you got to jump in the car, plan ahead, and you go somewhere for a few days. They sure do. And then if you add in three kids in the back seat and enough snacks to feed a small army to keep them happy. Oh, completely different level of planning when kids are involved on these trips. But uh, our plan was to to take off. Uh, We had never been to Yellowstone before, and we wanted to go to West Yellowstone. Uh, Kelly's parents were staying over there, and so it was not real spontaneous, but... Man, I fished and guided and worked, worked, worked right up to like literally in late into the evening night before we left. And so uh, the, the fishing into things, uh, I wouldn't say I underplanned it, but it was kind of, we expected it to be business as usual. It was going to be a, you know, tow the boat over, you know, hang out with the parents a little bit, get that out of the way, throw the boat in the water uh, down in, around the Ennis area and just drift fish like we always do here. Easy peasy. Same gear set that I'm using almost every single day, just western style fly fishing. But we ran into a little speed bump about 400 miles into the drive. Uh, what happened, honey? Well, wait, 400 miles or you want to back up to about 150 miles into the trip? What happened 150 miles into the trip? We just passed Post Falls. Oh, <laughs> And Joe, we're on I-90 going 75 miles an hour, and Idaho's speed limit 75, so we're excited. And all of a sudden, Joe pulls over right on the side of the freeway. There's traffic just whizzing by. We're there during rush hour because we got the kids out the door by 5.30 a.m. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, thinking that my my bag has flown out the back. That's, like, what I'm thinking. He's like, I'm being pulled over. It's like, pulled over? Were you speeding? He's like, No. Sure enough, this officer walks up to the window, and Joe, you tell the rest. Yeah, so he walks up the window, and he's checking out my boat, and I already knew what the deal was. Uh, 
All watercraft supposed to check in when you cross from the Washington state line to the Idaho state line. And two things. One, I was going to Montana. Wasn't even going to Idaho. Uh, and then I swear it said closed. Officer did not believe him. <laughs> officer did not believe me. And uh, officer even said without calling me, directly calling me a liar that he didn't believe me. But I think he realized I was just an idiot immediately. <laughs> he's a- like, are you seriously think you're going to go fly fishing? We had kids' bikes in the boat. <laughs> I mean, it was. It was like Clark Griswold on every vacation. He wants to make it so great for his family. So I was like, oh, the family's going to be so happy. We're going to have bikes and all sorts of, I mean, plan A, B, C, D, and E. Bikes the, that never got ridden. Bikes didn't get even ridden <laughs> once. And... Although we did have to put the chains back on about four times because every time we would load and unload them, the chains would come off. So anyway, the officer was really nice. I had to exit. He he held onto my driver's license. We had to exit, turn around, go all the way back. We killed about 30 minutes because, of course, it couldn't have been, you know, the exits couldn't have been convenient. So that was first speed bump. Everything, actually, we went into the checkpoint and they said, where are you headed? We, well, said, we said, Montana. They said, said Go on through. <laughs> Didn't even check it. <laughs> they said, get, yeah, go on through. So that was the first speed bump, and then uh, which was just kind of humorous. Um, cost a little time, and we're, I mean, this is a long drive. It's like almost 700 miles, I think. You know, the Google Maps said it was going to be 9 hours and 36 minutes, and so in my mind, we were going to make it there in 10 hours. 10 hours. I allocated 24 minutes for bathroom breaks. <laughs> Turns out it took us 17 hours. 17 hours. So we got pulled over once. Uh, That was all fine. Which our kids were really excited to announce to Grandma and Grandpa as soon as we got there. Dad only got pulled over one time. Yeah, your dad loves it when uh, (laughs) he hears about my my foibles. Uh, So then we're we're cruising along and we're super excited because we roll into Missoula. And it's like, okay, we're half, well, halfway. And Missoula's long ways. So we swing into Sportsman's Warehouse just simply because we had to get a couple of things. We wanted to get some new life jackets for the boys. Uh, they got all sorts of taxidermy in there. And we can get fishing licenses. And and uh, we wanted to get some spinning tackle for the boys. And by the Maybe way, our I, daughter wanted to check out a new fishing pole. Yeah, that's what she calls it. It's a fishing pole. The boys have kind of used the term rod, kind of loosely. But um, So anyway, we roll in there. And uh, by the way, for anybody listening to this podcast, if, if you're trying to get your kids excited about fishing, if you're a fly fisherman, that's awesome. But there's nothing wrong with getting them throwing light spinning tackle and spoons and spinners, you know, bait if it's, you know, legal and appropriate. Whatever it takes to get them hooked, I know of almost no great fly fisherman that didn't start with spinning tackle. And uh, so, in, in, if it's if it's legal where you're at, there's not that many rivers that are actually fly fishing only. Which it was in Yellowstone National Park, the south end of the park, below a certain waterfall. So we actually barely used our spinning rods, but. I sprung for uh, a new rod for one of my spinning rod for one of my boys and a bunch of spinning tack way to get some life jackets and stuff. So we 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 do this uh, this grand trip, the kind of the buy, the buy it all Bob trip. Our shopping cart was ridiculous. We bought rubber boots for the kids. I mean, those are snow boots. 
You know, they were on sale. They were like six bucks. Uh, so it turned into this eclectic shopping it was trip. Three out. We bought snow boots. Yeah, my daughter wanted to buy this ghillie suit for coyote hunting. It was like it was a pretty fun shopping trip overall. But um, we get back out to the the trailer, and I had done. I had greased. You, listeners are going to know where this story's going. I greased the wheel bearings. Immediately before we left, I was so proud of myself because I actually went and bought another tube of grease, made sure I greased the bearings because I didn't want to be that guy on the side of the highway. Uh, well, I come back out and I had checked the bearings a couple of times. You uh, checked them on Post Falls. Yeah, checked them on Post Falls. I checked them twice, rattled the wheels, made sure everything felt good. They weren't hot to the touch, just warm. Of course, we come out of the sportsman's warehouse. We've got all our gear to go boat fishing now. We got life jackets for the boys that we just bought and everything. And um, I hear him say, "Oh no!" It might have been another word, but no, good, good. <laughs> and I turn and look, and the wheel is totally tilted, or the tire, whatever you want to call it, the thing that the the bearing is was out, and the wheel sideways, and. So I'm looking at this going, okay, we actually, we were having a, a picnic lunch in the sportsman's warehouse parking lot at this under time. about two feet of shade. Yeah, there was, we were crowded under one tiny patch of shade there because it was, of course, it was 100 degrees. And so we, we, uh, we finish our sandwich bar lunch on the tailgate in sportsman's warehouse. We, we Google map Les Schwab, hoping the, the boys at Schwab, can help us out. And uh, we limp that trailer across town we get there and of course they're busy it's missoula they're on i-90 there's a ton of travelers it is four or five hours before they can assess that axle yeah well actually they said it would probably be six or seven p.m but by five they called us they did a great job yeah they were just busy and um so they had to you know for them to tap a bearing on there's not a big deal uh but the axle was pretty trashed at some point on the interstate that bearing blown out. Anyway, the long and the short of it is we, we killed a, a half a day in Missoula, but we couldn't really, I didn't want to stray far from Les Schwab because we still wanted to get to Yellowstone that night. So we kind of, we of course my son had this gargantuous bee sting on the bottom of his foot that he'd gotten the day before. It was like, we were just about to take him to the clinic. He couldn't walk anywhere. Car- we are carrying our 10 year old. <laughs> All over Missoula. It was 103 degrees. God, I had back sweat. Like, you couldn't believe. I had to piggyback that kid. But we didn't want to leave without our boat. Yeah, we did not want to leave without the boat. So we're, we're waiting this out. And uh, we hiked around all over Missoula. And uh, we, we didn't want to get far. We did find that sweet western uh, hard cider place. Yeah. That was pretty sweet. So we made our kids go in and they didn't have anything non-alcoholic. So our kids got to watch Kelly and I sample six different... They had ice water. They're good. <laughs> hey, we spent a lot of time making trips all about them. We had 10 minutes. It was all about us. The kids uh, the kids thoroughly sampled the ice water while we thoroughly sampled the big variety of hard cider. And uh, yeah, that place was sweet. That shout out to Western Hard Cider in Missoula. That place was awesome. Uh so we, we piled around there, and then we piggybacked it like a mile. It, the, the walking Google Maps said it was a mile and a half. But, but it we, took us, no, it said a mile, but it took us 30-some minutes. Of like, our, our kids are hikers. They are troopers. Like, we are not 
slow-moving people. And it took us a long it time. not a mile. <laughs> no, I got tired. Normally, I can piggyback that kid a long ways. And... But we just kept, we were promising, like, the world's best ice cream. <laughs> what was that place called? Big Dippers or? Big Big dip. It, it was like on Good Morning America or something. Yeah. It was a fa- it's a famous ice cream place. Anybody who's been to Missoula might know about it. But ice cream was awesome. So of course we get and we hike all the way to the ice cream place. And by hike we mean it was flat. It was flat, but it was a long walk. We it was a lot further than we gave it credit for because we kind of had to wind through the park. Well, of course we get like say two walking miles from our truck. And then Les Schwab calls and tells us they can't fix it after we're two miles from the truck. Yeah, and not only, it's not like we can't fix it today. It's we can't fix it for 10 days. 10 days. They're like, oh, yeah. And so this creates, I would say I handle the stress pretty well because this not only creates a problem of not being able to get my Clackcraft to Yellowstone, but... This is a, like a quick trip. Like I'm, it's guide season. I'm yeah, going five days. Yeah, I'm guiding. I'm guiding tomorrow morning. We just got back into town. I'm guiding tomorrow morning. I need my boat, so I can't like be without my boat for that long. And to dr- have to drive back to Missoula, to so lose the boat in West Yellowstone, drive home to Ellensburg, Washington, and then have to drive back to Missoula and get my boat. That's a huge deal. That that's not like just. You know, like running down to the local grocery store because apparently the axle was trashed and the company that builds the axles only does them custom. So we... So Joe wants to pitch a tent at Les Schwab. <laughs> I wasn't quite that Camp out bad. for 10 days. No, just kidding. Camp out we for 10 days. We decided to just forge on and go make the best of our trip. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're trying to solve this problem every which way, but... Uh, yeah, so we, we hop it back to Les Schwab. Um, yeah, we're like trying to rent a U-Haul to get the drift boat there. We're looking for u- used trailers that we can buy. Yeah, um, we... we seen every avenue. As yeah. We're walking in 103 degrees. Yeah, because not only... Now you're trying to figure out... I'm just trying to figure out how to get my boat and trailer home. So, yeah, we were exhausting all creative ideas. So we hop it back to Les Schwab. We said, hey, let's just... Let's, you know, forge ahead and head for West Yellowstone. So... We throw the kids, the three kids' bikes in the back of the truck, all our fishing stuff, all our... We've been using the boat as a, somewhat of a utility trailer as well. So now the truck is mounded with gear, like over the edge of the bed. It's an F-350, and it's pretty spacious bed, but we filled that thing up <laughs> all the way. <laughs> yeah, here here come the clampets into West Yellowstone. Uh so then we, we roll into West Yellowstone. We get in there late that night, 17-hour, uh, you know. Back to- up, like, we're getting, we get off I-90, and we go through Ennis, and from, like, Ennis to West Yellowsburg, uh, West Ellensburg, West Yellowstone, all along the river are just angler after angler. After oh, angler that was painful. Angler. And Joe is just like, I want my boat. Did that hurt a little bit? And I'm bit? like, woohoo, Old Faithful. <laughs> yeah, Kelly can't wait to get to the park and see Old Faithful and uh, the geysers and all that stuff. And I just want to get that boat in the water. But it was painful. We drove, I mean, the Madison's beautiful. And we're driving by and it's like, oh, when we hit the lower Madison Valley, it must have been, oh, about 8 p.m. So it's prime fishing time and there's just drift boat after drift boat rolling by. So 
But we we roll into to West. We got no boat, um, so the character of the fishing has changed uh, a little bit at this point. But uh, we didn't bat an eye. Armed for boat fishing, we've got new life jacket. <laughs> no, oh yeah, I mean yeah, like all of our gear was oriented. Shorts. We have sunscreen. I've got a couple good books, and now we have no boat. No boat. So the character of our fishing changed a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, so we ended up doing a bunch of wade fishing, and, uh, you know, we, I'm, the whole family fishes. I've got uh, two boys, and my daughter is the oldest one. She is 13, and uh, fishes just a little bit. Not quite as passionate about that, but she rides horses a ton. She got her fix at the rodeo the last night, <laughs> and that was awesome. More about that in a minute, but... Um, so I'm outfitting, uh, you know, Kelly, myself, and two boys and my daughter. So we got a whole bunch of tackle. Um, and I've got a bazillion different fly rods. Oh, wait, did I just say that? I've got four. I thought you had one. <laughs> one. It was $50. Uh, I've got a lot of fly rods. Uh, and so I'm going to go through kind of the gear set that, that we take and talk a little bit about trying to help you not only get a gear set that will satisfy your own needs uh, on just a road trip, a Western-style road trip, uh, but also if you're taking young anglers, uh, you know, Kelly doesn't fish a ton anymore. I would still say she's kind of at that yeah, intermediate, maybe advanced. Uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa, inter- whoa. <laughs> she's intermediate level. Uh, so easy casting stuff uh, is, is really useful. And so I'll go a little bit... A little bit about the gear set that I chose to bring uh, to accommodate all of our needs. Um, I brought uh, a fast action six weight. I brought um, a Reddington uh, Vape and Black uh, six weight, and that was going to be a streamer rod and nymph rod in the boat for us. And that rod didn't actually end up seeing much action uh, because we weighed fish most of the time. And then I brought uh, another Reddington Vape and Red, which is just kind of a boat rod, another medium fast action rod. And then I brought a nine foot five weight Sage X uh, for myself, which is like, that's my all around go-to. Uh, I would, that is my, uh, I call it my Armageddon rod. If if Armageddon was tomorrow and they were building no more fly rods, Sage X five weight, it's going to be what I grab. Uh, if I just fly fish and survive the rest of my life. So those were going to be our, our three boat rods. Uh, what we ended up using almost all the time, because we ended up fishing on foot, uh, was we used a Reddington Butter Stick 3-weight. Which I loved. Easy to cast. Super easy to cast. Super flexible. Yep. It looks awesome in pictures because it's bright yellow. All kids, 13, 10, and 8, did great with that. Yeah, 7-footer, loads really easy, soft action. It makes fly fishing great again. It harkens us back to a time when fly rods actually had a sole and bent and flexed. I just think that rod is so much fun. I think everyone should have one. It, yeah, it, it honestly, it's like that. It's yeah. uh, it is a really easy, fun casting rod. It's not for long range or anything like that. It's all point blank. It's going to be fifteen to thirty five feet. Tons of fun, and you actually have to slow down and enjoy the cast in order for it to even work. So you're kind of forced to. To make it work at roll cast and does all that little tiny fishy stuff at 10 to 15 feet, which you, you have to be able to do. But we ended up fishing pretty small water, so that, that Reddington butter stick was super key. Uh, we fished that 7.5 foot 2 weight Reddington classic trout. That was good. Super, yeah, the kids all kind of argued. Yeah, well, it didn't matter which rod they argued over. So 
Yeah, they argued the over all of them. said they wanted the butter stick, then the other two wanted the butter stick. If they wanted the classic trout, then it was the classic trout. <laughs> it really did. They wanted the tinkara, it was the tinkara they all wanted. Yeah, so the tinkara is awesome. I've got a Temple Fork Outfitters uh, cutthroat tinkara that I just love. If you go on YouTube and you search for uh, anything on our channel, tinkara, or search Red's Tenkara, you'll see some videos of how this stuff works because I think there's a lot of mystery out there to what Tenkara is. But um, my eight-year-old, you know, I'm not going to contend he's going. He's catching a ton of fish out there. His attention span, I mean, if he sees a frog, he's chasing frogs. Or making a chipmunk house. Or making a, a chipmunk house, which started out as a chipmunk trap prison, and when that didn't work out, he converted to a house. True story. This happened in the middle of a fishing trip. Middle of a fishing trip. Chipmunk prison, <laughs> bait it, trying to bait them in with tortilla chips. Organic. Organic, of course. What's well, national park? <laughs> Gotta have pure, pure organic tortilla chips. But I, I won't contend my eight year olds out there slaying fish. But he can get in the water with that tenkara, and he can whale away, and he can cast, and he can be effective. And in the right environments, he's quite successful. He didn't. I don't think he caught his own fish on the gibbon because he got. He caught. hooked a couple. He did okay. Yeah. Uh, on the get, I don't, I was couldn't remember him actually stocking one down and, and putting it on him. But um, you know when it skates out at the end, it's a really short line. The Tinkara has no reel. Um, it's a beautiful casting rod, actually, um, incredibly accurate because there's no slop. You'd have to see it in video if you're not familiar with Tinkara. Perfect for backpacking. When he was making his chipmunk house, and I was still. Not that we were backpacking. I was still attempting to fish and watch him make his chipmunk cows. Um, I was able to just pull it down and put it in my pocket and keep doing what I was doing. I had bear spray in my right hand pocket, a Takara in my left hand <laughs> pocket, and a classic trout in my right hand. <laughs> you had a lady with two fly rods and some bear spray? That's just straight sexy right there, honey. What so- can I say? Keeping it real. So the Tinkara, but he can get out there and he can break it down. He can put it together. He can wind it up. Um, and the leader system is super simple. Um, I don't think he lost a fly because it's so short. I mean, there's not a lot of back cast, but yeah, no tangles. Yeah, the kids they really learned a lot about wading. You know, in rivers, the rivers we were on. Um, you know, the Gibbon River. I mean, I could fish that river the rest of my life. I love that place it's kind of just a supersized creek if you will and uh most of that stuff the boys can get right out in that they're 10 and 8 and uh our just rule of thumb is they have to stay upstream from my wife or i and they don't have to wear life jackets not in that not in that stream um we're not totally health or skelter uh in a bigger stream they do in a bigger stream they do, but our rule of thumb is they have to stay upstream from an adult. And it's their responsibility. If we move upstream, they move upstream. They can't get behind. But he'll get out right in the middle of the river, and he'll he'll hunt around with that Tenkara. And I got some photos uh, of him. You'll have to check out our blog at some point this next week and, uh, and search for this trip because I got photos of my 8-year-old uh, fishing that Tenkara. But there's something about that connectivity of no reel, no slop, just a direct connection with that fly, no slack line to mess with, that is so pure that even at eight years old, when he fishes that, he fishes it like a predator. Like, I've got pictures of him actually, like, he's he's crouched down. He, when he, oh, yeah, that's... yeah, like, he stalks, oh, you know, yeah. like. All he... three of the kids do. They, like, crouch over. 
Like they're hiding from the fish. Yeah, they they take it serious. It's I mean that fish is trying to you know get away with its life with those kids. So, but the tinkara uh, was super great. The kids would kind of bicker about that. <laughs> they, they always want a different rod. And then one of my favorite rods is uh, at one point it was a very high end sage. It's an SLT, uh, an older rod. It just for some reason that rod's always been really special to me. So I've never. A lot of my used rods I'll sell so that I can experiment with the new stuff. But that rod's always hung with me. And uh, that SLT, um, that thing's a family favorite. It's kind of a medium, fast action rod. But uh, I'm going to post a video this week on YouTube of my 10-year-old fishing that. And I made a huge discovery with him this year in training him to cast. And I wound up putting, I'll just kind of go through the story. It'll be on the video too, but... Uh, we, we train pretty good. I try to train the kids to cast in the yard where we don't have all the distractions of the fish and, and live ammo, which are hooks. And that's very distracting, uh, because if you make a mistake and you get snagged, it slows the whole process down. So we train in the front yard and we cast. Now I started my son on a five weight. He was cast. He wanted to cast dad's rod and he was getting okay results. And when I look at casters and I can see them doing pretty much everything right, yet they're not getting that loop and that line speed and that result. At that point, I, I look at gear and I go, okay, they're doing everything right. You know, for the most part, I can't really pick on their tempo or the fundamentals and they kind of understand how this is all supposed to work. So then I went and I got my three weight and I just traded them out. I said, okay, now try this. And he cast my, my older three weight, which is a softer action in it's a little improvement. And and I was thinking, gosh, he's still doing everything right. And he's not a, a super strong kid. He probably weighs 70 pounds soaking wet. Um, good at, good little athlete, but you know, not an aggressive caster. Um, probably a lot like a lot of beginners out there that are um, you know, maybe apprehensive to to throttle up on the rod, you know. Most adult mills overcast, most women and kids undercast. Although, I gotta, I gotta shoot my own horn a little bit here, since I've never actually outcasted someone, but our 10-year-old's goal is to currently outcast me. Yeah, he's got uh, some work to do, honey. Your, look, your form is looking good. You actually said, Mom's got game, Dad. And then, then, then they were oogling over your, your trendy Sims kind of, you have a, what is that, a big mouth bass on your Sims hat? Yeah. <laughs> My wife got this Sims hat, and it's kind of a flat brimmy, you know. Black and white. It's black and white. It's kind of a flat. I didn't even know it was a bass. (laughs) It's this flat brimmy thing, flat brim hat, and the kids think it's so cool. They won't stop talking about mom's bass hat. They're like, I called Joe one day. I'm like, bring me home a hat. So he's like down there trying to uh, conference or video call me all these hats or whatever you call that thing. What's that? Facebook. Oh, it was a Facebook video call. So tip for the dudes out here, when you're shopping for your wife, just do the Facebook oh, yeah. video call. and He's so like, you I can... thought you'd like this one. I'm like, no, I hate that one. <laughs> yeah. like, Which one do you like? I was like, the black and white one. He's like, that's a bass. I'm like, sweet. Bass are awesome. Anyways. So I did so hear him I say. two things that my son wants. Yeah, he wants he your. Casting and my bass hat. Yeah, he wants your bass hat, and he wants to cast like you. So, uh, but I saw immediate improvement in his cast. When I put the five-weight line on that three-weight rod, it was night and day. The kid had it. Like, it was a, it was, 
such a big improvement in his game. I just couldn't even believe it. And the rod performs fantastic out to about 40 feet. Beyond that is just completely impractical anyways. We're, we're river fishing where there's multiple speeds of current. Presentations get much way too complicated beyond that. So for our intents and purposes, that's a great, great tip. Five-weight line on a three-weight rod for young casters, beginners, anybody who's non, you know, non-aggressive caster. Most adult men are, are overly aggressive. It's they snap flies off. I can hear their rod whip through the air. It's embarrassing. Uh, so most adult males will overcast, but most kids and women are putting more probably a mental effort into the cast than physical effort. And that's a great thing. There's a lot of people that will say, you know, women are much easier to train to fly cast. Uh, None of which were teaching their wives at that time, by the way. (laughs) But but people say say women are easier to fly cast because they do. They put more mental thought into it and less physical effort. And I think that when you find a combination of rod and line, especially quality rods... And, and slightly overlining those rods, that's a huge step in the right direction for young casters and women. Or, I mean, even myself, like like I said, our oldest is 13 years old. So 14 plus years ago, I fished quite a bit with Joe. In fact, the day I went into labor with her, we fished. Um, that's true. Yeah. We did fish. We fished. We went and fished on the Yakima River and then went to a doctor's appointment and then to the hospital. <laughs> so I wouldn't say that I was advanced but we mm-hmm. fished a lot i did a lot of reading on the boat too but um where was i going with this what were you talking about i don't know you just, i just i'm blown away i forgot that the day you gave birth we went fly fishing i know see i did used to do this oh yeah yeah but the right the right gear does make a difference um and, and that's what i wanted to say it's just that it really does make a difference if you have the right thing whether it's a tinkara um, and when Joe was talking about the Takara for kids too, and earlier he had touched on this a little bit too, but don't be afraid to let your kids just gear fish. Um, however, they're going to feel successful. You don't catch a lot of fish as a beginner fly fisherman or fly fisher woman. And for a kid, that's a little bit discouraging. Like we want our kids to feel successful and we have no intention of going out for 14, 16, <laughs> even four hours a day fishing like we've kind of built up to this um and and let them kind of decide what the day is going to look like and the same goes for your wife too joe's kind of learned the hard way that i always do bring a book i'm not gonna fish for 12 hours a day so early on in our relationship that was a little bit tricky for him he'd be like we're on the river why aren't you fishing like because i already did he's like for two hours but that was enough for me and slowly that's built up and the same is true for kids so um, and, and that might be the same for men as well, beginning men, but I'm just speaking from my own experience that if you want someone to go out and enjoy this sport with you and love it, don't put the pressure of doing it how you do it. Yeah, those are all such valuable tips. And the other, you know, just what we'll, we'll kind of stay on task with the gear thing. And we're going to talk about flies and kind of the, what we experienced on our trip, but, um, Figuring out how to let kids act independently. Um, I don't, you know, I'm, I would say I'm a very loving father, but when we go fishing my kids, I try to set them up to be successful independently of me having to be there the whole time. 
If they hang their back cast in the tree, they get it out. Sweet, I get to climb a tree. You know, they they get it out, and they need if to. They ask for help. He helps, but he doesn't run over there and give it right away. Exactly, and uh, we learn this uh, when I I take them bass and panfish fishing a lot with their spinning rods, and I'll pull up to the local lake, and it's their job to pack put their rods in the truck. Yeah. So we have a local pond here, which I'm sure everybody listening has some type of local lake or pond within 15 minutes of their house that they can get to. Unless you live right in the middle of urban downtown, there's probably, you know, something. Oh, our kids want to go there all the time. Yeah, they call it Mattoon Lake. It's here in Ellensburg. And, and we can we can run down a grocery shop and we can be like, hey, we got to go get groceries. If you guys want to fish, three rods in. And it's oh. their job. they got to put their rods in. they got to pick out their tackle. And we can pull up to the lake and uh, I can... They tie their own jigs, lures, whatever, rapalas, whatever they're going to use. And, and it's at that lake, it's primarily just a tackle game. And I'll say, boys, you got 15 minutes. And so they got to catch as many fish as they can in 15 minutes. And I can sit in the car. I can return emails. I can do, you know, a few Facebook or Instagram posts for Red's Fly Shop. And I watch them the whole time. And if they really need some assistance, I'm there. But the the independence and freedom they get by making their own decisions on what kind of lure they're going to use, how deep they're going to fish, what area of the lake they're going to fish. Now, all of a sudden, those kids aren't being told what to do, but they've got skin in the game and they're calling their own shots. And once I realize that I need to just shut up and stay out of their way, I've seen those... That's hard, babe. That's hard for you to do. It is super hard for me to do, but those boys have turned into little predators. And uh, yeah, I mean, I feel bad for the bluegill down there. It's ridiculous. But it's just a couple of tips on if, if you really want your kids to be successful, kind of get out of their way and figure out how to set them up for success. And the thing I love about giving them, and we've, we spin fished very little, almost, we never threw a spinner in a river on this trip, although we had planned to, because the kids chose fly fishing. But part of that is because they've had the freedom to do some spin casting. What I love about the spin casting is they can roam around and they, they can feel like they're being productive and they're not... They don't have anybody telling them what to do. Once you teach them how to spin it, hey, go get them, guys. Or, you know, cast a spinning rod. Hey, go get them, guys. And they can operate independently, but they chose fly fishing on this trip, which I think is great. Right. And part of that, they chose it because that's what we were doing. Yeah, so kind of back on gear prep and stuff for this trip, uh, we, we talked a little bit about those are the rods we chose. I, I will say that we ended up, well, we'll talk about this kind of in, in day one. Uh, we we wound up on day one, it, it, the Yellowstone 500 on day one. There's a lot of driving. We drove. It took us 17 hours to get there with our delay in Missoula. But then we were pretty psyched to get in the park, right? So we take off to the park, and uh, we get in the park. Uh, we go to the place and get our little fishing licenses. It's cheap. I thought it was a great deal. It was yeah. like 18 bucks for three days. I thought that was great. Yeah, and free. not knocking the state of Montana, but compared to a non-resident license in the state oh. of Montana. Which uh, we bought before we realized that the, we weren't going with a drift boat. So we we bought our license assuming we're going to be floating the Madison River every day. Yeah, we probably would have just fished in the park had we known our drift boat trailer was going to blow up. We but made a great donation to the state of Montana. Yes. Uh, well, we got our money's we worth, did. though. We, we had a great time. We ended up fishing Lower Madison some, but we, we drove into the park, and uh, we we ended up just, I mean, the first spot we fished, we just, 
we drove into the park and here's a tip for you. I did not have time, like it was urgent. We didn't have we didn't want to stop at fly shops that morning. We just wanted to get in the park. We drove it took us 17 darn hours to get there. The last thing we wanted to do is try to you know park in West Yellowstone to go chat with the fly shop because this was 70% family vacation, 30% fishing. I probably flipped it the other way by the end of it. Kudos to me. Midday one. Yeah, maybe it was 50-50, 50% family vacation. 50%. Oh, now it's changing. So uh, we ended up getting in the park, and the first spot we picked, we just drove up, and the, the tip I was going to get to was I didn't have time to go to the fly shops, which I did later, and it was incredibly helpful. But one of the first things I'll look for is, honestly, if there's zero anglers in a, in a stretch of river in a new or foreign area, Take that as a clue that you're probably in the wrong spot, not the right spot. And that was one of the first things I noticed. We drive into the park, and that that would be considered the, I guess it would be the upper Madison above Hebgen Lake. The west it, entrance. West entrance, yes. Uh, there was almost nobody on that stretch. Compared to what we'd seen on the lower Madison, of course, you can guide an outfit and drift that. There was It was night and day. So I, go, I thought to myself, okay, this must not be fishing all that well. Well, we drove a little further up, we got our fishing license, and then we took off to the Gibbon, and uh, I, one look at this stretch of the, that, the Gibbon River, and I was like, oh, we're fishing there. So day one of the park, we roll down to the Gibbon. Within minutes, I catch a little brown trout, which was awesome. Everybody, there's, you know, there will be great photos on the blog article, but I mean, all it was... All three kids are fishing. All three kids are fishing. It was a giant free-for-all in my terrestrial fly box. We're fishing... Uh, Anytime I'm going anywhere where there's big fir trees, pine trees, high altitude, that's a short growing season. Generally, there's not enough aquatic insect life to feed the fish. I'm thinking terrestrials, flying ants, bees, beetles, hoppers later in the summer. It was a giant free-for-all in my terrestrial box. Every kid got to shove about four flies in their hat. That's their fly box when we go. It, It keeps your flies dry. So that when they're wading or falling in the river, generally their flies in their hat stay dry. I don't have to outfit them with a bunch of gear. So we pinch barbs, put flies in the hat. So sent the kids down to the river. Uh, Jacob, my eight-year-old, was uh, running the Tinkara rod. Uh, Faith was running that two-weight SLT uh, or two-weight classic trout. I think you were running that three-weight SLT. Jensen was running that butter stick. Yep. And uh, I can't even remember which rod I was fishing. Uh I might have been, no, I might have taken my five weight, I took my five weight Sajax down. So anyway, we jumped down in the stream, everybody's fishing our, you know, our brains out. Yeah, everybody got good takes. I caught a handful of nice, nice brown trout. I think the biggest one I got in that spot was about 14 inches, but for that size, the stream is fantastic. We only fished for an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours. Two three, and a half, maybe three. Three hours. <laughs> it felt like a Joe's very short. Always a little off. It felt like a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, being organized really paid off there because this was kind of a quick hitter. We were going to pull over. We were going to fish. Uh, so the way I packed everything, this I do well because I'm fortunate to guide all the time. But I've got that Sims uh, Bounty Hunter Rod Vault. And it's it's this big. You can you can check it out on YouTube and see what it is. I've got a video on there, but that piece of gear has saved me more time and made me more efficient than almost any other piece of gear I've bought in a long time. 
it holds, I've had up to eight fly rods in there. It'll hold, most guys, it's going to hold every fly rod, every single hand fly rod they have, and every reel they have. Pat, you only had one fly rod. I borrowed some. <laughs> a friend of mine gave it to me. Uh, but it'll hold all the fly rods a guy has and all the reels. And then I can actually put two digital SLR cameras in there, all my reels, all my single you hand fly rods. laptop in there for traveling. Yeah, it fits my, I have kind of a small laptop that I put in there, but from a fishing standpoint, um, a guy could buy that, that Bounty Hunter Vault, and he could keep all of his single hand rods in there permanently with all the reels, leaders, that kind of stuff, keep it in his car. Because we pulled up to that fishing spot, we busted that vault open, every kid grabbed their rod out of there, had them strung up in minutes, flies on, it was, it was legitimately efficient way to store all of your rods yeah, in it. And Joe just showed, he demonstrated on his how to string up a rod and then all three kids were able to do it on their own. He just showed how you turn the eyes to be facing the right way and away they went. Yeah, yeah, all those little lessons of, hey, make sure your guides are lined up and then, you know, don't pull the tippet through all the guides. Fold the fly line over and pull it through. So, you know, the kids got schooled up on that kind of stuff. They know a lot of that, but that Bounty Hunter Vault saved a ton of time. My camera uh, goes in there, or my cameras go in there. Uh, a lot of my stuff that uh, needs some shockproof protection, uh, extra batteries for my cameras and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then the other thing that we kind of battled a little bit by the end of the trip was footwear because we planned to be oh, in the man. boat. Yeah. Oh, you and I both got our butts handed to us on footwear. Um I wore my Sims, uh, I got the Sims Riprap sandals, which are a solid wading sandal, which are great for the boat. We plan to fish 90% of the time out of the boat. I was going to row her and let her just fish her reins out for several days on Madison. Didn't happen. Sandals would have been just fine for ingress and egress out of the boat, but we ended up doing some pretty heavy wading and hiking. And uh, I've got... My ankles got trashed uh, in that. How did your how did your sandals fare? Well, day one, here we are. We're down there. Day one in the park, I should say, or fishing. So we rolled in about 10, 30, or 11 p.m. the night before. And as Joe said, we're all set up, and we're down there fishing on the Gibbon River, great fishing. And all of a sudden, I start to just feel like my shoe just doesn't feel right. Like, I've got some keen sandals on. They're waterproof. It's what I packed. We ordered new pairs for the kids. That's what we're all bringing. Like, we got these for this trip. Mine were a few years old. I looked down, and the entire sole of my shoe is flapping around. And so I'm like, oh, man, what am I going to do? We're down this hill. We're not even five minutes into our fishing trip of day one. And um, so I say to our our 13-year-old daughter, she has a hat on, too. I'm like, hey, Faith, she's got her hair in a ponytail. I need the rubber band out of your hair. And so (laughs) she (laughs) reluctantly... Because if you're a 13 year old girl, your hair is kind of important. Pulls her hair, um, her ponytail back through her hat, and gives me a rubber band. And I attempt to fix my shoe, my Keen sandal, for the rest of our fishing trip. Um, And it holds, but every now and then I have to go back and backtrack five steps to find the rubber band that's fallen off. And next thing I know, the left sandal, the same thing's happening. So (laughs) I don't know what happened with those shoes, but. We were. I, I was not prepared for this trip. Yeah, I. You know, we we were really prepared for drip boat fishing, but man, even going back with the boat with some of the you know the the size of the boulders and stuff, I would definitely 
we're doing wading boots. I like that Sims Intruder wet wading boot. Um, but what about those wading sandals? Yeah, the wading sandals. Yeah. Not the ones I had, but the. No, that mine didn't hold up. I just I'm a very very sturdy wader, and you need ankle, you need high top boots, you need actual wading boots, neoprene socks, and I would strongly recommend if you're going to wade fish, uh, Madison, uh, you're going to want a wading staff. I just think the wading again, I can refer you back to YouTube, and I explain it better on there. But wading staffs make you not only more stable but faster. You, you just you just move faster when it's time to you know hump at a hundred yards upstream or downstream. You move quicker with that third point of contact because you can step much more confidently. If I were going to spend much time wading the Madison anywhere uh, above Hebgen Lake, much easier wading. But between Hebgen Lake and Quake Lake, uh, very tough wading with the boulder um, kind of the composition of the boulders and things. And same thing down uh, below Quake Lake, uh, you know between say. Uh, the Reynolds Pass cutoff and St. Ennis, uh, we fish that as well. And uh, you definitely want the sturdy wading boots. Cleats would be you know, strongly recommended for that section as well. But so we went in the park. Uh, we caught a handful of brown trout and rainbows uh, on the Gibbon, which was yeah. awesome. Beautiful Great. stream. And uh, the rest of the day, we, we ended up driving through the park uh, we, we we called it the Yellowstone 500. You know, we, we go on this long road trip to the wilderness. We're tired. Yellowstone National Park. We're going to go to the wilderness. Oh, Yellowstone. And to get away from people. And there's 2.4 million of them there. A lot of people in Yellowstone. And we're from a pretty small town, and we kind of like our space. <laughs> like, we go to, like, a city, and we can't wait to get back home. Oh, I'll break, I'll break out in a sweat in the city. Yeah. Anyways, so like, we're like, okay, we're going to go see this site, and Yellowstone is beautiful. It's amazing. We're driving, and I, I, I didn't think the roads were crowded, but we pulled into like, on the map, it's like a red dot, so we pull into a red dot area to see a site, and there's people like double and triple parked, and everybody's blood pressure in our car would go up. We're like, oh man, we can't do this. We can't handle this. So we just look at it from the road, but we just decided that's okay. Our trip doesn't have to be what everybody else's trip is. There are certain things we did want to see for sure. Like, to me, I had to see Old Faithful. Um, and oh, we saw her some. name is actually Faith, so she really wanted to see Old Faithful too. She's pretty sure it was named after her, although it was there before she was. But, <laughs> anyways. Um, but we, we just decided that we kind of like just driving although we didn't mean to drive so much so we went on, like joe said we went on the 17 hour road trip the day before and then we go into the park and we told my parents we said hey we'll be back we're just going to go in for a few hours that was at like 9 a.m we got back to the where they're staying and where we were staying about 7 30 p.m because the park is way bigger than it looks we did a little fishing um the next day we actually Calculated, and we drove 170 miles just in one section of the park. Saw some amazing things, did a little fishing, but like Joe said, it was like just the marathon driving trip. Yeah, the Yellowstone 500. You got to watch out for merging into traffic. So we, uh, but that that spot on the Gibbon River was great. We we ended up, you know, bopping down the hill. And what was cool about it is nobody in Yellowstone gets off the road. I mean, they stop in the middle. 
They stop in the middle. Oh my Literally. god! You know, a mule deer. One. <laughs> yeah, uh, a doe. Uh, one small elk. <laughs> one, yeah, one small elk. And so, like, people stop in the middle of the road. So, but nobody gets off the road. Like, we we parked and we went down and we fished that amazing section of river. Yeah, unless it's a red dot area, they don't go. Yeah, like we didn't see anybody. We're like, this is awesome. There's nobody around bugging us, you know. Yeah. We, and we we picked a stretch where we actually got a barrier between the the stand of timber and uh, and the river. And either you know, there's a lot of stuff to see. So a lot of people are spending a ton of time in their car, which I wanted to go there to not spend time in the car. You know, you really need like three weeks to really experience. Oh, it it was amazing. It was beautiful. It's spectacular, but... But we did the non-traditional trip. Yeah, so we, we fished that in the morning, and then we rallied over to the Lamar River and looked at the Lamar River, and it and was kind of... Yeah, it was... And Slough Creek. Uh, you know, Slough Creek, we we only had so much time, and it was cool to just lay eyes on Slough Creek. There were a handful of fishermen there, and then we, we bumped up the Lamar because we really wanted to fish Soda Butte Creek. And uh, we ended up getting to the confluence of Soda Butte Creek and the Lamar and, and opted to fish the Lamar, which is amazing because there's like, there was like 500 bison and bison calves out there. It was spectacular. It's beautiful. How many fly fishermen can say that in their wading shoe, they stepped in a pile of fresh bison dung? Bison dung. That's the right word. That sounds like, kind of like you're on safari. Bison dung. Uh, you did not say that word when I stepped in it at the river, <laughs> Maybe Kelly. <not. laughs> uh, so we ended up fishing the Lamar for a little bit, which is beautiful to actually throw flies around. I mean, with bison and it, the the expanse of that valley and that country is amazing. We were getting ready to go there. We just pretty much wrapped it up because we're like, creek's a little high. Uh, it, it's kind of a creek in that section. So river's a little high. And... Um, my daughter ends up hooking a nice cut through it, like right when we're leaving. Yeah. We're like, we're stoked. We're like, I, I, I literally said, there's no fish here. <laughs> I was like, we're out of here. And of course, she hooks nice fish. And but to her two brothers' dismay. Yeah, her two brothers were like, what? They did cheer for her, but they were a little bit like, wait a minute. Yeah, they they didn't think that was very fair. Which fishing is not always fair, but. Uh, so we ended up fishing the Lamar a little bit. Then we uh, that night we didn't fish again. We we no we did fish that night. Yeah. You so did. that no. was a long day because we drove all the way yeah, back. Right. We drove from the west entrance to Lamar River. One hundred and seventy miles just inside the park. Just inside the park, went out the west entrance, went back, had dinner uh, at, at at the lake, and then uh, and then I was like, hey, honey, you want to run down and and fish tonight down the Lower Madison? And we're like, well, we bought these Montana licenses. We're pretty frugal. We're like, get our darn money's worth out of these. Oh, yeah. I used to be a couponer. Yeah. Big time. Binder and everything. Total coupon nerd. Uh, I got to get my money's worth on this trip. Yeah. So we, we had to use our, our licenses. So we we rallied down and uh, we were, we had seen a lot of fishermen down that one area. We're like... Well, there's a bunch of dudes there because we rolled in at twilight the night before, and we're like, "Man, at dark last night there was there was a, quite a few fishermen in that area." We're like, and there was no fishermen on the upper Madison above the lake, like zero. And my parents gave us a tip, like they're like, "Hey, we heard." They've heard through the down at the bar that you know or whatever that the fishermen's good down this bumpy road, horrible road. They said, 
So I agree. It's pretty bad. Uh, so we we only had we left there at like six thirty. So we by the time we got parked down there, we had like an hour. Oh no, honey, it was later because we didn't even get back. It might have been closer to seven thirty or eight. Yeah. Yeah, it might have been like eight. Yeah, because we only now that I'm thinking about it, we only fished. We're down there in the pitch dark. Yeah, we only fished for like an hour. So we got down there, and my ten-year-old and my wife and I went down, and uh, that section is very swift. And when you set up for wade fishing at dark, uh, your goal is not to cover a bunch of water. That's not going to be real productive. And uh, so our goal, we we kind of drove down the road. I gave it a quick survey. By no means am I an expert on that river. It was literally the first time I ever fished it. But uh, there was, you know, it's kind of a riptide going down that thing. It's very fast and broken. And then I saw one log laying across a couple of rocks that made a pretty, you know, more significant curve break. It's not deep or anything like that. I go, okay, that's our spot. And so we literally posted up. We we pulled over. There's three of us. It's a family fishing trip. We're all going to stay tight together. Just one of our kids came. What? Just one of our kids. Yeah, came. yeah. Just one of our kids came, and and uh, so my my most ambitious angler, uh, Jensen, uh, my ten year old came, and uh, immediately we got down there on Saturday. That was Saturday night. Immediately, I hook a dandy brown trout. I mean, a legitimately big brown trout, and uh, I, I stick it on a, a salmon fly dry fly right on the shore, 20 foot cast right above oh, me. Salmon fly hatch. Yeah, the fish was holding, the fish was holding tight to the bank. I stick this fish up, just fantastic brown, and it ends up coming off nearly right away. And I, I lost a handful of fish shortly after, and I was because. We had still had our rods rigged up from doing the, the small ball on the gibbon, and we hadn't used our other five and six weight and rigged those up. And I couldn't get hook penetration on those bigger fish with those bigger flies. So everything I was hooking on two and three weights on, on big salmon flies was just coming off. I just, unless you strip strike them or really put it to them, I can't get enough tension on those rods to bury that hook, which I figured out later after I lost about four more on those light rods. Uh, but hooked a fantastic fish, and yeah, the same. You love giant insects crawling on you, which is super great. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So there were funny story. Our a little bit later, our ten year old, uh, or maybe did you hook that fish? And Justin came to reel it in. No, uh, he hooked that he one. He hooks this fish and is trying to reel it in, and Joe goes over to help him, and he's reel it, and he and like Joe said, he's ambitious. So um, this is, he is an outdoor kid. He is hunting and fishing and hiking and that's what he does. They're all different. Uh, but he is so into it. And he is just reeling this big fish in. And I hear him say to Joe, there's something crawling on my back, but I'm not stopping. <laughs> and so he lands the fish, eventually lands this big fish. Well, big for him. I think it was like a 14-incher. Yeah, it is, it is a nice yeah, trout. fish. He lands this fish, and Joe reaches up his shirt and pulls out a, like a salmon fly. <laughs> Not a little bug. It's a big bug. But that kid was relentless. Now, me, I probably would have dropped that rod in the river. and <laughs> We'd have never seen that rod again. Gone would be the classic trout. Yeah, so we that strategy worked really good for us. We, uh, we found a good current break that probably wouldn't have fished all that great during the daytime. We waited on it till dark. 
uh, found feeding fish there. They we worked them over on salmon flies for uh, 30, 40 minutes, uh, and then when they got tired, we hooked a couple and missed them, and they got tired of our salmon flies. And then we switched over to caddis emergers, yeah. and uh, I used a little uh, uh, corn-fed CDC caddis is the na- exact name of the fly. And did very well on that. And unfortunately, we didn't get any pictures of the fish we landed. I'd love to have got a picture of that big rainbow uh, that I landed right at, at dark. That must have been like 10 p.m. Oh, um, it, was, it was late. It, it was super late. And uh, in fact, we had that dude uh, before dark come driving by when we were parked there. And tells us, he says, this is the honey hole. <laughs> Do not leave <laughs> yeah he's like this is the honey hole don't leave it's a full moon fish it's till a full moon put on a salmon fly and he's talking to jensen and i joe's down fishing jensen and i went up to switch flies and we needed a little bit of light because it was kind of dark so we're trying to use the light from the truck and um he says don't leave this is the honey hole put on a salmon fly full moon it's about to be game over <laughs> and he's like and the darker it gets the better it gets. And I'm kind of like, oh, okay, bumpy road, middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but it was true. We we had a great, that was a really fun evening. and uh, I'll never forget that night with Jensen. Yeah, and our son's going to remember that forever. But it really, like, if you're fishing on foot, you have to really change your thinking. And you got to do more of kind of an ambush. And you got to be waiting, not like, no. Try not to use a play on words here. You got to be waiting uh, at that spot for that fishery to come to life at dusk. And uh, that can be a huge advantage. That last hour, I'd rather have that last hour than the previous six, especially while fishing on foot. In a boat, you kind of have the advantage of covering a lot more water. Uh, But on foot, you know, staking out your 30 yard section, knowing the spot, putting a little thought into it, and scouting a little bit early in the day and going, okay. At dark, that's where I want to be, and I kind of, kind of want to make my stand right there. But that evening, we did get on caddis. Uh, the lightweight rods, the two and three weight rods, uh, those were great with the caddis. They were great. Yeah, they, the hook penetration on those was fine, but we really, you and Jensen hooked a ton of fish on salmon flies. We didn't land them. And, and didn't land them because we were fishing two and three weights because that's what we had set up with dries. They were big fish. Yeah, we just, and big flies, we were using number fours, salmon flies, and we just couldn't bury hooks on those bigger fish. We we got a couple of them, but in general, we lost more fish than we would have had we geared up, increased our, you know, and grabbed our five and six weight rods for those bigger flies. But uh, that was a lesson learned about halfway into that. I was thinking, man, we're just undergun for, you know, the size of hook. That bigger diameter hook takes more force to bury it. But had a great evening on the Madison. Uh, that night, you know, staking it out till dark, that was great. Learned a ton about just, you know, prioritizing, you know, our our evening and staying in one spot, not moving around a whole bunch, especially after that dude was like, don't leave. Or oh, like, and he, 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 he was like down there seeking out someone to give advice to. This guy knew what he was talking about. <laughs> well, he saw a good looking gal and a kid. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm going to take you guys every, I'm going to take you guys everywhere with me from now on. It was my bass hat. Yeah. Uh, well then day two, so you and I took off in the morning and had kind of a morning date, uh, and left the kids with your folks 
And yeah. we went down to the s- similar area, but we wanted to explore a little bit. And, and a little further down. Yeah, a little further down, and we went dry fly only. We, we vowed to go dry fly only that morning. We only fished for a short period of time, about an hour and a half, but rods were already rigged up and everything. Uh, and if you're going to be road tripping around, get one of those sumo rod racks for your vehicle. Oh, those looked amazing. Yeah, get get a sumo rod rack. They, they're... They're, I've got an older version. The sumo ones are way better. But get a convenient rod rack for the top of your car. That way the rods, you can just drive from spot to spot, get out, fish for 10 or 15 minutes. If you don't like the water, there's no consequence because the rod's already put together. You can just stick it on your car and move to the next zone and kind of road hunt for water. But Kelly and I went and fished uh, the Madison that morning. And uh, immediately we saw the full brunt of the fishing pressure there. And oh, went, yeah. And it's a beautiful stream. It, it is the act, you know, when I say the activity of fly fishing, it is so gorgeous. The pocket water, the white water, the, the hills, the mountains, the scenery is just spectacular. It just feels right. But immediately when I sized up that fishing pressure, and we had a short period of time, and we'd never been to this particular stretch before, and we only wanted to fish salmon flies, uh, I immediately looked at that and go, we have to find tough we're not going to go out and expect good success doing what everybody else is doing just you know whacking away with salmon flies casting out towards midstream maybe a little bit of bank work but i finally did get one uh, and i didn't end up landing it but i finally did raise one really really nice brown i got it to come to my fly four different times and i found and i looked at the spot and i go man that's a tough drift against a, a dark kind of a black cut bank and when you when you look at this water, and, and it doesn't have to be the Madison, that's just the example we're using. When you can walk out mid-river and cast back in towards the shore, that was something I saw very few people doing that is, I hooked some of my best fish this trip doing that. Getting out in the river and casting back in towards the shore and working your way downstream you can get that fly way closer to the bank, you control it way better, and you're going to cast at a slight downstream angle. So when I got this fish, I looked at this bank and I go, well, I'm just going to walk out and work my way down the shore with a waiting staff and good waiting boots. It, it, it would be to your advantage to have that equipment, especially studs, to be able to do those types of wades or those little circuits where you kind of wade out in a half circle work that cut bank down, and then maybe migrate back to the bank and then pick out your next spot. I went out there and braved it with sandals and, and no waiting staff and managed to just find. Uh, Led me across. I, yeah, we got, yeah, we actually did a little video uh, of her and I doing a, a pretty good, a fairly significant river cross. It, it was a little bit more dramatic for her than me, but... Uh, <laughs> But there is some good tips on there about buddy wading and, and how to use two anglers to your advantage. And you put the heavy angler upstream to break the current, stand sideways in the current, pick a good route, you know, and so on and so Don't forth. Don't have a rubber band holding your shoe together. Yeah, get good wading boots. Yeah, that's right. Your shoe started to come. through, the, I could feel the rubber band slide off, and I was like, oh, man. Your shoe was coming off partway through that yeah. way. But I'll, I'll post up a video on YouTube this next week on just river crossing tips. Um and it, it's a there's some good tips on there you can see. But anyway, back to my point about heavily pressured areas. And I've got two videos, or at least one that I'll definitely produce or publish on YouTube. But in fishing heavily pressured areas, you can look for some tough cut banks and seam lines that are just going to get overlooked. 
And that's what I did here. I found a spot and I go, you know, there's just a little hydraulic against that bank that I'll bet you almost nobody has cast to. And I'm telling you, I mean, in the last week, a hundred anglers have walked right over the top of that fish and it was a 20 plus inch brown trout. And, uh, it was really, a really, really tough drift. I rose it on the first salmon fly and I couldn't get, I'm, you know, he, he either missed the fly in that heavy current or, or didn't come, you know, didn't commit fully. I don't know what, I couldn't quite see what happened. Short, short, accurate cast, 20 foot cast, tough hydraulics. I ended up raising them on four times on four different salmon fly patterns and I could not get that fish fully connected. And, uh, I still, I mean, I really, I really learned a lot from that because man, that was the one piece of water I eyeballed that morning that I knew would be a good spot. So try to look for those obscure, tough little seam lines. Um, I, although I didn't land that fish, I located a very large brown trout in short order doing that. But she and I fished a little bit that morning. I caught two small rainbows. I don't remember if you got anything or not. You worked on your casting. It was yeah, and and that's the thing is I kind of, um, some of this stuff is above my expertise. And I just thought, I'm just going to use as an opportunity to practice my casting. I Like I said earlier, I sometimes, like maybe this year, I've only fished once a year. So, um so it was a great opportunity for me to just practice that casting, um, and I got some bites and hooked some fish up and had a great time. Yeah, you lost a nice one on the gibbon that, that snagged you up in the sticks. It was oh, fun. Yeah, it was fun watching one of your boys. Uh, you didn't you didn't want to climb off that log you were well, standing on. I was on. unstable, and my rubber band had fallen off my shoe again. And you had one of your boys uh, swoop to your rescue and try to get that fish. Oh, yeah. he, he got right in the water, was trying to get that fish oh, yeah. uh, out of the I sticks. Had an and amazing time. It was great. But uh, so then uh, we we rallied from. It was just you and I, a little morning coffee date, little fishing, and then Grandpa and Grandma met us at the campfire lodge uh, with the kids, and we ordered breakfast. We went to a little fly shop, and the, there was a dude in there named Bob uh, that was helpful. working. He was super helpful, and that was the first time I actually, like, it was convenient to get into a fly shop, and I love fly shops. I went to a bunch of them this week. Uh, it reminded and, me of what Red's was like initially without the restaurant. Yeah, it was like it was like Red's 10 years ago. Yeah, it was very small, quaint, yeah, I mean, just a ago. cool little store, a lot of expertise. And uh, he he summarized what I had observed really quickly. He said the, the Madison above Hebgen Lake, it's gotten too warm. It's done now. Not a lot of don't people fishing. I, I had already recognized that immediately. He said, said don't this. Don't fish it in the park. Yeah, he said, don't fish the Madison in the park. You can move up to the Gibbon. We'd already figured that out really quick. And he said this in here's And so anyway, he, you know, sold us some flies. And his, his advice was extremely practical and useful. But the coolest part of that. So we go in there and uh, we'd heard the breakfast there really great. It's on the river. Yeah. Kind of like Red's, which is similar to our own shop, yeah. which is on the river. Uh, other than we can, you know, we launch boats. Um, they can't, don't do any boat launch there. But anyway, it's on the river. There's a restaurant there, a fly shop there. So it was, it really was kind of, we were in our our comfortable space. And we're like, man, why don't we go fish while they're making our breakfast? Yeah. So I, I finally tied on a nymph for the first time. I tied on just a number four salmon fly nymph that I bought at the shop there. Um, we sell the same fly at Reds. I just didn't happen to have uh, any of the number fours with me. And uh, I tied that on. I hooked a brown, 
Uh, nice 18 inch brown and uh, let my son reel that one in and then hooked and landed a nice cutthroat and uh, of course I let my son reel that one in and then uh, my 10 year old hooked a nice uh, trout he ended up losing it right out in front of the restaurant like in 20 minutes while they were making our breakfast so then they make our breakfast and the pancakes were the size of like you know those things that you sled on? Those little discs? <laughs> they weren't quite that big. You should have seen the size of their cinnamon rolls. It was we ridiculous. Left, but it was like the size of a dinner plate. It was an event. I'll put it that way. These pancakes, like, we had... I've never gotten a to-go box for pancakes. <laughs> Joe's never gotten a to-go, to-go box in his life. He normally eats his food plus three-quarters of my food. I always order thinking, you know, I'm going to have lunch tomorrow. And Joe eats it. I got a to-go box for these pancakes, and it was like the 96. And our kids ate off of it for the next two days. It was like the 96-ounce 90, pancake. They're like, if you can eat this the whole thing. Pancake. Yeah, I was like, I was like, this is what killed John Candy, not the steak. This gigantic pancake. He ate there. Yeah, it was, it was huge. So they made these gigantic pancakes. The, the kids are freaking out. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I actually exercised some oh, pretty Jesus good willpower. Eyes were like, Whoa. I was like, I will be have a pancake hangover for days. So we ate that awesome breakfast. That was delicious. It was Very super much. cool. And then that day was was our fishing day, really, because then we we went right from fishing the Madison. Had we uh, gave the kids a choice for like you can go in and fish with us or stay with grandma. Yeah, and so, uh, and then Kelly's dad, who's an extreme neophyte angler, um, interested in fly fishing, uh, he's staying in West Yellowstone this summer. He figured, well, now's the time. And, uh, he, you know, your dad uh, bought him a rod and reel this winter. We finally broke that thing out, that Echo, uh, Echo Base kit outfit. Great beginner rod. Yeah, he, he cast it really well. I mean, just stepping out, I mean, right off the couch onto the, the river, he cast it great. I thought it was really helpful. And, uh, I've got a little video that I'll post. It's going to be the bare bones. It was shot on this trip. Just here's what you need. Here's everything you need and nothing you don't. If you are road tripping or you are introducing another angler to the sport, there's just a few things you need. I, you know, you can check that out. I'll post that this week. But we ended up going back to a different area on the Gibbon. Um, we fished two spots. The first spot, we immediately sniffed it out, and we said, this spot's cold. And there's like There wasn't good fishing. It was lower on the given, a little closer yeah. to the Madison. And two of the kids came with us, and one stayed with my mom. Yeah, so the the boys came with us, and uh, and so it was uh, Kelly's dad, me. So there's, what, uh, five. five of us? Yeah. So we're trying to find spots where five of us can get in and be somewhat productive. But that first spot, based on what we'd seen the first day, we got in there. We were there for 10 minutes or less. And we said, this not is not fishing. Yeah, not the same. We move upstream like three miles. Was it even three miles? No. Like the next turnout. It was like two, yeah, a mile or two upstream. Give the boys a snack. Immediately. Into, I mean, we just bumped up the road. And those, that's why, those. like I said, get like a rod holder, like that sumo rod holder. Why it's so convenient because you can just bump up the road. No drama with where you're putting your rods. If you've got a you know a suburban, you can put them in their full length. But we bumped up the road and immediately got into fishing. We actually went to that campground, and uh, it's a picnic area. Yeah, it was a picnic area because we're like, well, here's a good place to park, and <laughs> nobody 
wanders away from the picnic. They are so terrified of grizzly bears. But I had the bear spray. You had. I'm the, also terrified. You had the bear spray. Yeah, she's and prepared. Yeah. I put myself prepared, not terrified. So, but we went to the little picnic area, and nobody had ever wandered away from that picnic area. Like, we just got in the river, and I think these people were like, what are these hillbillies doing? They, got, they actually followed us down there. Yeah, they're like, what are these hillbillies doing? We all went, deer, 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 deer. We've got these flat rods. We better go see what's going on down here. There's a show that the park didn't advertise for. Yeah, my kids run down the hill like little banshees with their fly rods. We jump in the river, and... We had really good fishing. We we fished. Uh, we just got in the river, and I went. I all crossed. All five of us. All five of us. We just kind of split up and put an assault on the fish moving upstream. And uh, I went to the other side. I was able to cross, and you know, without too much difficulty. And I think that's huge. Like when I said I mentioned the waiting staff and good boots, I think it's critical that you're able to make these crosses because I just I watch people and. My kids waited to 90% or, or excuse me, my kids waited to areas 90% of anglers wouldn't go simply because we were willing to cross rivers. We crossed the, the lower Madison below, uh, below Hebgen, between Quake Lake and Hebgen. You and I did? No, no, I did. Oh. And I watched and, and I, I never did take Jensen down there, but it, it would have been easy for him to cross. I mean, I would put him in a life jacket, but, uh, most people won't do those little crosses, and it opens up such an expanse of unpressured water. It's an incredibly effective tool making some of those crossings, and I'm not suggesting you do anything dangerous. Just prepare for it. Right, it, you know, it outside of your comfort zone. Like, I'm more of a reluctant crosser. Yeah. And, and, and I just decide, okay, here's where I practice my casting. He'll go over there, and that's okay. That's that's okay with me. Yeah, and, and based on the fishing I saw, like, I just, and the Gibbon's not very big. But based on the fishing I saw on the far bank, at one point. yeah, but that was a different story. We'll get to that in I a second. I actually caught that on video. Yeah, that was pretty funny. I was trying to relive a river on the But those crosses, get yourself a staff, get yourself cleats and good boots, um, and, and wear long pants, uh, like guide pants. Uh, Sims makes those super light pants, or the Arapaima pant are awesome. They quick dry. They keep the bugs off you. They keep your legs from getting scratched up a lot. So we end up at the Gibbon. Uh, we end up just working our way all the way upstream and it started raining pretty hard and you and Jacob, our eight-year-old, hiked back to build chipmunk forts under the trees. And you say a just couple a few more casts. casts. And in my mind, a couple means... I speak in thousands. Two. I speak in thousands. A couple thousand more casts. So Jacob and I head back up to this picnic area. And we're hanging out there. We're like, oh, a couple more casts. Just a couple more casts, and that's when chipmunk house and boredom, organic chips, and the baiting of the chipmunks begins. Yeah, because we are there for one hour and fifty-seven minutes. Yeah, the chipmunk house was probably sweet for about thirty minutes, and then the other hour and a half was not as sweet. But um, so, but we end up working up. Like, I mean, yeah. we didn't see any evidence. Most of the rivers you I can wish see. That would have. Yeah, most of the rivers we fished, we could see like a trail where people had, had actively hiked along the stream. We hiked up into that area and we didn't see a trace of a, a human being. And we fished all the way up to Gibbon Falls. The the famous, I mean, they're famous waterfalls. There's people on the overlook, like it's taking. It's a red dot on the park map. Oh yeah, there's people on the overlook, and we're like down in the canyon. And I'm sure these people are looking down. It's like, what are those fishermen doing down there? Like, 
they're 500 feet above us at the top of the overlook and we're down fishing in this amazing canyon and I, I, I hooked that brown trout on that streamer and uh, I threw a little JJ bugger up there on my three weight. I think it's really important to keep flies accessible in your hat because anytime there's brown trout in the river, you, you can get them at redsflyshop.com or it just click shop online there. But a JJ bugger is a really, really good fly to have anytime there's brown trout in the water. I threw a cast in there with the JJ bugger. Not a big brown trout, but a nice brown trout. And I hooked that thing. And it's in this kind of this rapid whitewater canyon area, very fast. And it runs against the little cliff wall around the other log that's going all the way down. There's a log, so it's basically between this the... This is before I went up, so I'm videoing this. She's videoing this. Pretty up water up this time. I end up basically swimming this little rapid. And our boys go in after him. So I'm on this video screaming like a maniac, Jacob, Jensen! I end up swimming. Is legit. I end okay, up swimming this little rapid. To their knees, but in my mind, I didn't have a choice. I had to get my rod around the other Not side of the knees, log. Their knees, where they were. And I end up having to get my log around the or my rod around the other side of the log. I end up up to my neck. I'm oh, kind he of really float. was reenacted. He peels off his pack and hands it to our eight-year-old. It was pretty dramatic. The it kid, wasn't a fishing creel, but it was a. Actually, it was like happened. a river runs through a 2017, <laughs> except the fish wasn't nearly as big, and I don't so have muscles like sandals. Brad Pitt. Um, but I get the fish, which was sweet. The boys are stoked, and then you're like, "This is so." You you were like, "I'm out." You were like annoyed by it. You're like, "This is so stupid." It was overly dramatic. Oh, it was like, I like, have it on video, honey. He, he, she did video it. You're like, "This is stupid." I'm out of here. And you're it like, "It was pouring rain." Jacob wanted to leave. It was also pouring rain. I'm soaked, and cut more casts. Well, we're thinking, like, hey, this rainstorm, the fishing's picking up. We just landed a nice brown trout. <laughs> like, so we get up fishing in this little box canyon all the way up to Gibbon Falls, which was spectacular. The fishing was okay up there. I think the fishing was probably better in other areas. So don't think, you know, I'm going to go fish right below the falls and catch a bunch of She's fish. That's where they not. ended up. It's just where we ended up, and uh, we got spectacular photos in front of the falls. And I think the lesson learned there was if you get just a little ways away from the road there, it's it's a really great adventure. And uh, a lot of people in the park don't tend to duck off the road. I think there's kind of a fear factor of grizzly bears, and I think there's also this gravitational pull for all those red dots on the map to get those you know, checked off. And, and I have to say, my expectation of the trip changed a little bit too is like I went and, and Joe and I actually had a little bit of a uh what do you want to call it it was a discussion uh, like a, we had one argument the whole trip two two are two. okay I don't but know but a little bit one. of a I think we went with different expectations in my mom we're going to Yellowstone we're going to see all the red dots places in his mind we were actually going to fish but I didn't realize that although we were hauling a drift boat so I should have realized that but I think what the realization I walked away from it is it is your trip regardless of where you are. If you're on the Yakma or if you're in Yellowstone. And um, just because everybody else does all the red dots, dot stops doesn't mean that's what your family has to do. Like our kids and us, we are happy exploring the things that aren't the red dot. Like one of the things that our kids really wanted to do was swim in the Firehole River. And they all three of them did that on this day. Later up, we met up with my um, mom and our daughter, Faith. Um, Joe and the boys were already in the fire hole, and nobody else was swimming in the Firehole River. There's, I don't know how many million people in this park. 
but that's what our family wanted to do. That's what we do is like, um, just kind of go a little bit off the beaten path with the bear spray in the pocket. Cause I am, <laughs> all those bear warnings do make me a little bit leery, but just having that can of $39.99, whatever that stuff is, made me feel better. Um, but it's okay to make it your trip. This is, this is your vacation. It's your trip. It's your experience. So just because everybody else goes and sees all these falls from the top doesn't mean you have to. If you want to go and fly fish the park, go fly fish the park. Yeah, we, I mean, my son and I were laughing because we're like, you know, all these people are up on these tourists. We're tourists too. They're all up on the overlook and we're down actually living it. Like we've got spray from the falls hitting us. We're catching wild trout, you know, wading in the water and uh, actually experiencing that <clears throat> natural phenomenon just right there. And we did swim in the Firehole River. That's one thing that we just, for some reason, we just wanted to do that. And we went right out in front of that visitor center. We were the only group to wade across the Madison River right there. Everybody, there's a, a hundred people swimming in the Madison. The Firehole's 25 feet up. Yeah. Across this three foot. Yeah, we trucked across there and, and uh, we fished a little bit. Um, we ended up raising one fish in the fire hole. And then once we kind of checked it for trout, then we jumped in, did a little swimming in that warm water. Um, fire hole comes in pretty warm, so it slows the fishing down this time of year. But yeah, it is your trip. And you don't you don't have to look through it, you know, at it through the same filter as everybody else. Uh, you can kind of make it your own. But that, you know, and that night we went and saw Old Faithful, which was awesome. It was amazing that, at sunset. Yeah, I mean, our takeaway from the park was if you're going to see Old Faithful, do it at sunset. We yeah. did it, it, it. Gorgeous. Of course, we get there. We don't know the, uh, the um, schedule for when it's predicted to erupt. Is that the right word? Yeah, spout. Spew. Spew, spout. None of these words feel right. But we get there. We see all this traffic coming out. And we're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We get there. It has just done its thing so we have an hour and 30 minutes to wait and we're kind of a little bit bummed out we're like oh old faithful but at like it was like the last eruption before the sun set so the sun is setting as we're seeing it an hour and 30 minutes later amazing it was you know if you're if you're doing you know yellowstone for the first time i thought that was a pretty cool way to end our trip and it was a beautiful drive out so just if you know that if you can I mean, there's probably an old faithful app Ministry. There is. I just I downloaded the Yellowstone app, not the Geyser app. <laughs> a lot of apps. You, you, and we go there to get away from our phones and stuff. And so it's, well, there's no coverage in there, so it's kind of funny that you have an app for the Geysers, but yet you have no coverage. Yeah, you got to write all that stuff down. You got to go old school, I guess. But uh, saw Old Faithful at sunset that night after we did a bunch of fishing, swam in the fire hole, um, fished in the fire hole a little bit just to say that we did. Um, the, the next day, uh, yeah, so then it, it, again, it gets a little bit blurry, but, um, yeah, the next day I ended up going, day? no, the next day I ended up having to drive all the way to Idaho Falls. That's right. Think back to, to our Missoula stop to clack a craft drift boats in Idaho Falls and shout out to those guys. Those guys are awesome. If you're ever buying a drift boat, man, I've just been so happy. I've had low profile clacks, but, um, we row eddies a lot at work here at Reds. Uh, but I've got the headhunter two skiff right now, but those guys at clack are just great. They ended up selling me 
the the axles that they use are uh, won't go into great depth, but they're uh, a torsion bar essentially. Instead of being leaf springs, they're torsion bar axles, so it's all tied together. It's really springy. It helps your boat not bounce and bang against the trailer because it's got such a flat bottom. Uh, but they ended up selling me an axle that they had in the yard there that had. Joe stressed out about this ten day thing because. I got to go to work. I got to go die. Five days, and they're saying it's ten days and a whole pile of money. A whole pile of money, and and Les Schwab is just doing the best they can. They're just nicest people. Yeah, they're awesome, man. Those guys were great, but. Let's Rob, it's going to be a thousand bucks and it's going to be 10 days, and that requires an additional trip back to Mon- Montana, which is. Which we've actually only did, we did 14 years before, so it's like you're going to do two in 10 days? Yeah, we, we don't go to Montana very often. Uh, and I don't so, know why. anyway, I call I call a guy, I know, Clack, Jake at Clack and Craft. He's like, you know what, let me help you solve this. And he was awesome. He started searching around, throwing out calls and texts, and he said, Man, they've got an extra axle in Idaho Falls. Uh, I was going to have them overnight at from Portland, but then he found one in Idaho Falls that wasn't on a trailer yet. It already had all the bearings and the hubs and everything on it. I raced down to Idaho Falls early that morning. I uh, got to drive uh, down the Henry's Fork River, which was really cool. Got to see the South Fork of the Snake. Uh, went Always wanted to stop by the Trout Hunter Fly Shop on the Henry's Fork. I got to do that as well. So I had a good road trip down to Head of Falls to see some of that water that I'd never laid eyes on, but uh, got that axle from Clackercraft, and uh, so I spent my whole front half of my day doing that. And uh, but that afternoon, I met up with an old buddy of mine that that has guided for us a little bit in the past, uh, my buddy Brian Wilson, and uh, we put a good midday fish on uh, on the Madison between Quake Lake and Hebgen. Uh, and fished really hard, and we did. The, the takeaway that I'll say from that day is the salmon flies absolutely died. They were 100% gone. The difference between Saturday and Monday was night and day. The, the salmon flies were, you know, everywhere on Saturday night. Oh, like you were, I ate some. Yeah, they're like, they're all over you. They're in my hair when we got back to where we were staying. It was amazing. But on Monday. They're gross. Yeah, on Monday they were gone. So we get down there hoping to fish salmon flies. And we're like, you yeah, know, they're gone. They and, uh, and buy some salmon flies. Yeah, so he and I, yeah, after I spent about 40 bucks on salmon fly patterns, which I still got. Uh, but he and I did a kind of a, a hairy cross. Uh, we picked a good route. We got across the river and waved to the other side. And uh, I ended up catching a couple of really spectacular rainbows in tough spots that I looked at. And I said, okay, there's a lot of pressure here. Where's the fish going to be? Where's the toughest hold? Holding line, ended up catching that fish. Uh, I did shoot a little video of it. I'll post. Uh, but we got to that other side, and it was a it was a tricky cross. And uh, the only other anglers we saw on that side of the river all day was a guided trip. It was a guide who had his anglers over there, and uh, he had actually taken a boat across in Quake Lake. Asking for a ride back. Uh, yeah, I should have actually, because uh, I think I fell in on the way back, but. Uh, he had taken his boat across, and uh, and then they hiked up and wade fished all that, which I thought was a really creative idea. But it also reaffirmed that sometimes looking at those spots and going, okay, can I get to the other side? It's just a good way to look at it. Uh, the only anglers we saw on that side was a guide trip, which I thought was reaffirmed that we were doing the right stuff. 
Uh, no dry fly fishing that day. Uh, did well on on nymphs and uh, smaller nymphs. It seemed like uh, got more fish, and but I think I got my biggest fish on a, a number four salmon fly. But there were golden stones starting to hatch too, so that number four can be, actually be a big golden stone. But uh, we put a good fish on that day, um, and then at the end of that day, we ended up fishing until about five thirty or six. We ended up fishing about six hours. Uh, I did end up pulling out all the stops. I'm going to post video called uh, like dirty trick for big trout or something like that because it's kind of a dirty trick. Uh, I took a thingamabobber strike indicator and uh, I ran a fly called a jawbreaker, uh, which is a it's actually intended originally as a smallmouth bass pattern, but I've actually adapted it to my trout fishing game and I've got a lot of big largemouth on it too. Uh, but it's kind of a jig style fly, and it's a streamer basically. Uh, but I throw that under a strike indicator, and that really, if there's big fish in the area, that's kind of my last resort. And so I'll fish that on my way out. And I ended up getting a, a great rainbow that I got on video uh, on the way out on that day. But every angler is reporting tough fishing, and so as I as I finished and went downstream, that's a technique I like. I can flop that thing out there. It's a streamer under an indicator. I can dead drift it to make it look like a disoriented bait fish. And then I can just let that thing lift and swing up at the end. And as that swings up, it looks like a sculpin uh, or some type of minnow coming out of the rocks because it's been dead drifted deep. And then it comes out of the rocks and lifts up in the water column. And I found that to be just kind of a, a, a kind of a nail in the coffin for those bigger, bigger fish. Uh, if I can't get them doing the other stuff, I know I can go to that as I walk out and I can usually pick one up. So I'll post that this week. That's how I finished that day. So Joe, you talked a little bit about, so you talked about the salmon fly and now you're talking about something different. How often do you change your flies on these trips? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. I changed my flies hundreds. I mean, I'm not joking when I say hundreds of times. I, uh, I've been wearing that kind of that Mexican Wrangler hat, that sombrero looking Which thing. Which you noticed on the Red's Facebook page today, because um, you posted some pictures of you on that. Someone wants to know if you sell this in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the story with this hat I've been wearing is... Can I we tell the story, please? You can tell the story. So, uh, two weeks ago, we're in Libreto, Mexico, with a group of guests from Red's and Joe and Steve Joyce. Uh, and Natalie and I, we go out after dinner and drinks, and we're kind of shopping around looking for trinkets for our kids, just something to bring back. And we, Natalie and I are kind of looking at something different. We hear Joe and Steve negotiating with these guys, this guy on two sombreros. He wants $10 each, $20 for two sombreros. And they're like, no, no, no. So Steve speaks decent Spanish. It's slow, like his dialect is slow. He speaks it slowly, but really good Spanish. So he's negotiating with this guy's for a good 20 minutes to get him down to $18 for two sombreros instead of 20 And so finally the guy, is just, I think he just wants to close. He's like, man, I just want to go home. He's like, fine, $18 for two sombreros. And Steve and Joe hand him $20 and say, keep the change. <laughs> 20 <laughs> minutes worth of negotiation and we just paid him what he wanted anyway. Anyways, told there's him. a follower on Facebook that wants to know if you sell them in the shop. No, we don't sell those in the shop. Actually, people have been wanting them, but I've been wearing this this Somewhere. almost ridiculous, you know, Mexican cowboy hat. I don't even know what it actually is called. Uh, but I can put a bazillion flies in that thing. And I changed flies. I would go out and I would change from a dry to a nymph to a streamer 
because I don't know the water all that well. And being able to change fast and efficiently is so critical. My nymphing was mostly done with one fly setups. Um, I would fish, uh, you know, if I, I would always, kind of, my, my system kind of goes like this. I'll generally, I want to start with dries and I'll run a dry fly. Why and so dry? Is that your, just... I much prefer, it's a really good question. I much prefer to catch fish on dries. I can cover the whole water column from one spot, regardless whether it's eight inches deep or eight feet deep, I can fish a dry and all that stuff. And it makes sense to the trout. Uh, I don't really disturb the water a lot because I'm not going to get snagged on the bottom. If I go in there with both guns blazing and I snag up my streamer on the bottom and I either have to walk closer to unsnag it or I make a bunch of noise, my cover's blown. So I start with the dry and then because the simplicity of the change, I'll generally cut my dry off and just tie a streamer on. So same, not a dry dropper. Not a dry dropper at that point. Just same because it's one fly. All I got to do is cut a knot. And I tie my streamer on the same tippet, same everything. Even if it's a little light, I'll still just run it. I'll fish my streamer through. If my if I like the water, I'm confident there's fish there. At that point, I'll generally run go to a single nymph rig with a with a thingamabobber. I I like the thingamabobber. The airlock is fine. Yarn is the best if I'm going to commit to fishing a nymph for an extended period of time. But I'll just clip a thingamabobber on. I'll tie on a, a, if I'm in a western trout river, I'm generally going to start with a stonefly nymph. I'll nymph through it with a stonefly nymph. If a single stonefly nymph doesn't work, then I'll add a small dropper nymph mm-hmm. at that point. And, uh, and then I'll run to two fly rig at that point. But I went from dry to streamer because it's a fast change to a single nymph to a double nymph if, if I need to. Uh, and generally I'll go in that order and then I might start the whole cycle over again. And I change, I think changing flies quickly and efficiently is really important. I think keeping tools on your chest, keep your float in handy, your tippet handy. I, I like to have flies in my hat. You can have a fly patch or do it however you want. But I think having those accessible promotes healthy fly change. And I think it's important. And, and you don't have to have 2010 vision. You don't have to, you know, have young, you know, highly dexterous fingers. What you need is practice on changing flies and to not be intimidated by it. Most people just don't change because they're like, oh, that's going to kill time. You got to get good at that stuff. You, you just got to do it, change. Um, I watch guys with crippled up old hands. My, my hands are, I've lost a ton of dexterity after all these years of rowing in mine. I still managed to get it done. So. so real quick, so you're talking a little bit about nymphs. And later in that day, or the next morning actually, you took our 10-year-old out with you and Brian. Why don't you tell the story about Jensen and nymph fishing? Because up until this point, he's pretty much exclusively dry fit, fly fished. Oh, so my kid's been riding this high horse on dry flies because he gets to fish with a professional guide all the time. So generally, I try to put him into situations where he can be successful on dry flies or I don't take him, right? So he's he's had a pretty good jump start. So he literally looks at Brian's rod. And if Brian, my friend Brian and Jensen and I are going, and we're in the truck. And he looks at he Brian's rod. He feels like a big boy. Yeah. And he feels like he's one of the, the guys. six kids are back at the resort. And he's going. He's the only kid going. He's going with the the men, and uh, so he's he's kind of is, is baptism into fly fishing, men's fly fishing, so to speak. And uh, he looks at Brian's rod. It's set up with nymphs, and it's got thing of a bobber. He goes, "Huh, Sage One? <laughs> he's fished a Sage One. Must be some kind of nymph guy." Is <laughs> what he says <laughs> to my friend Brian. <laughs> my friend Brian's just like, like, "Oh, what the heck?" Brian's just left. Some kind of nymph guy, huh? And he's like, we fish dry flies. 
And I'm like, okay. You know, I'm just like, I let him go. He's kind of mouthy, and uh, I don't know where he gets it, but huh. he's kind of mouthy. Well, we get down to the river, and uh, I'd fully intend to fish, you know, try golden stones and salmon flies. And uh, we get down to the stretch of water. My friend Joey had, had just been there the week prior. Joey said, hey, here's what you do. You're going to go down and wait to fish this, try golden stones, salmon flies are dying. We fish dries a little bit. I can start seeing these fish feeding just under the surface, even in the fast water. And I cannot get a fish on a dry. How can you see them? Well, I'm seeing just the backs and the tails. They're coming up and they're feeding just under the surface. Gotcha. On on there's little trichos and mid you know midge trichos and and very small caddis hatching. So there's a variety of I just call it small ball. Um, there's a bunch of small bugs hatching. So we we decide we're going to play small ball and uh, I get myself set up with the nymph first and I'm still changing a lot because I'm kind of the discovery guy I'm trying to figure out what these fish are eating I finally start getting fish hooked up on this little number 18 black mayfly nymph and uh and I end up start I hook a few fish and uh you know my my son likes to fight him you know if he's close I generally take that as an opportunity to let him practice you know fighting larger fish in fast water so he reels a fish or two and he's pretty stoked and uh, finally I get him set up and uh, on his three-way, he's fishing that three-way Sage uh, SLT of mine. And he's just slinging it with a thingamabobber and a small nymph like a champ. I mean, oh, it, so he retracted his statement. Well, he wasn't totally sold yet. And then, and it's funny because you heard this whole story verbatim from him. But he says, I go, oh, just cast out a little bit further. I'm teaching him how to, you know, basically all you're doing is slinging nymphs. You're using water tension on the nymphs to keep the casting organized and efficient and I'm teaching them how to is it's an important skill to have if you want to fish year round I mean you're going to learn to nymph fish if you want to just try a fly fish that's all great but your fly fishing is going to be limited to shorter periods of time evenings mornings and seasonality you're going yeah to, when they got back well you finished telling the story well so I go yeah I just I go Jensen you got to get out and the fishing got really really good at that point we just finally figured out what they were eating we only had about an hour left to fish that day because we, we wanted to jam back up and uh, do some family stuff back at the resort. But I go, just cast a little bit further out. Bam, he just puts it a little bit further out and bam, hooks a fish immediately, gets his fish. He's totally psyched about this whole deal. And he's like, man, Dad, I'm just loving these nymphs. I mean, he's just like, as, I mean, it was really his first nymph fishing. He'd nymph fished before out of the boat, but I mean... The, the satisfaction for him doing something new, tasting success, but most importantly, doing it himself was so critical that he did that on his own. Don't and, you think that's true for anybody of any age, any angler? Oh, of course. I think I think when I guide, a lot of times I think when, when I can get people into fish on dry flies or I can get them into fish weight fishing or it just in simply a situation where they made their own decision – that's worth 10 of me spoon. I can, I'm a pretty capable guide after all these years. And, and there's a lot of easy ways as a guide to get people into fish, primarily using, you know, two nymphs and, and rowing the boat right alongside the nymphs, making the cast real easy. It's a 10 to one ratio. Somebody gets a fish like that situation where they made some of their own decisions and, and were maybe on foot or just did, did it themselves, maybe chose their own fly or their own strategy. It's a 10 to one ratio. It's way more meaningful too. Way more meaningful. You know, kids don't need as many fish as dads think they do. What they need is to, to feel independent and feel good about what they're doing and feel some success. 
yeah. and like and, the part and of the team. And to feel like they're, and to know their dads are proud of them. Yeah, and just being, po- you know, always being positive. I mean, you know, so much of this is just basic life coaching, but. Uh, so Jensa gets back that day and he comes running up to me. And uh, I said, buddy, what was the best part of your day, your morning, fishing? Because, you know, this is like kind of a big deal. Like, like Joe said, his baptism and the fishing with the big boys. And he says, Mom, the best part was Dad said, cast a little further. And I did, and I caught a fish. Boom, just fish on, as though I can say that every time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a, that was kind of our finishing trip. We ended up wade fishing lower Madison down a little closer to, to Ennis. And uh, just had a great time. Next time we get over there, uh, you know, I, I did grease the wheel bearings, but we will get them repacked or replaced before we do another big road trip. Um, Bring tip, a raft that we could always throw in the back of the truck if we had to. Yeah, a raft would be a good choice. But uh, you can go over there, you folks, and get guide trips. I'm happy to help anybody who's heading to West Yellowstone to just, you know, personal advisement on where to go and my experience and kind of what I learned and what I know just from being in the outfitting industry and the guides I know that... Or working in the area, but um, yeah, overall it was a great trip. We capped it off uh, that night by going to a rodeo, uh, which made my daughter super stoked. She likes fly fishing, loves horses, so we uh, we rounded it off with that. And uh, yeah, and so then today uh, we'll get this wrapped up. But it was kind of a it was a pretty cool deal. We we ended up driving back to Missoula, which was about four hours. I had that new axle I got from Clackercraft. I'm hoping I got all the right tools and jack, you know, I got, I, you know, I've just got a, a jack, but I'm hoping I got all the right tools to get this trailer replaced. Because it's not a Les Schwab part, they can't. Yeah, Les Schwab. Les, they can't. Les Schwab was awesome. Amazing. They, they wouldn't work on it, but they did, uh, I, I had to pull it down, down the street and work on it in the gravel because I, there was the only place to actually work on my. Next to this equipment rental place called Mom's. Rentals. Moms rentals. Mom Rent- loves <laughs> Montana. Moms love renting heavy machinery. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> they love renting heavy machinery. There's bulldozers, uh, boom Moms trucks. <laughs> but uh, the guys at Schwab were awesome. They loaned me some jack stands, and uh, fortunately, had the right tools. And the whole family got in on that. Every kid turned lug nuts. Grease Kelly was turning up lug to nuts. Our Grease everywhere. I'm still all greasy. I haven't even showered yet after this trip. But uh, anyway, we threw that new axle in there. The guys at Clack were awesome. Uh, I just can't say enough about those guys. But the trip was great. Uh, anyway, I hope you guys learned something on this podcast just about prepping for your own trips and the gear that you know our families and, and strategies our family has found successful on these types of trips. Uh, I would advise you to check us out on and follow us on Instagram. And you can see a few photos from the trip. Uh, like Red's Fly Shop on Facebook. Uh, check out our YouTube channel for sure. Um, I, I really encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I think that's one of the best things we do. And then naturally, shop online. We would love to help outfit you and get you set up with the right gear to put flies on fish uh, anywhere you go. Not just not just Yellowstone, not just Montana, but anywhere you travel. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll check you, check in with you later.